History happened everywhere. A random place, a random time, and a topic pulled from the hat. The challenge? Find the fascinating. Uncover the unexpected and share the stories. You're listening to... History happened everywhere. My name is Ryan Weir, and I am here in the HHE studio with the missing piece to my puzzle. It's Mr. Peter Goddard. Oh, am I missing, or was I never in the box to start with? That's the question. I figure you're just that last one that was never in the box. And you, you complete the puzzle, and then there's a bit missing. I'm the most frustrating thing on earth. <laughs> yeah, but then I find you a year later, hidden behind like, the sofa cushion or something. Take me to a charity shop immediately. <laughs> Good to be back from vacation, Peter. It really is, isn't it? I hope the uh, audience was entertained by our outer offices while we weren't there. They should let us know. Pete and Ryan at hhepodcast.com. But Peter, now that we're back in the studio, it's time for you to pay your debt to the Dursalator. It is. Yeah. Uh, last episode, you got given riddles in Colombia during 1930 to 1940. So, have you solved the mystery or will we remain puzzled? Well, Ryan, we are travelling to Colombia, South America, the home of Shakira's truth-telling hips and a colony of escaped hippos. We will discover why bananas aren't necessarily good for you. We'll find out why Peru and Colombia were once at war and not really at war at the same time. And we'll learn about the first Colombian journalist to be killed in the line of duty and the remarkable and rather peculiar trial that followed afterwards. Welcome to Colombia. So Ryan, we are going to the Republic of Colombia. Where do you think Colombia comes from? Uh, Columbia University. Christopher Columbus. Ah, I've heard of that guy. You have heard of that guy. Uh, But this is spelt with an O and not a U. Uh, Colombia, you might say. Do you know what? I'm so glad you said that because I was going to ask how you spelt it. Yes, apparently it's something that annoys many Colombians that people don't get their spelling right. I think it's because people say Colombia, not Colombia. That is true. And also places like Columbia University and Columbia Records, I think, is all with a U as well. Movies, pictures? Yeah. So, yeah, you can see where it comes from, but no, it's an O and not a U, everyone, if you're going to do this. We're in South America. It's just underneath Panama, the little thin bit that joins Central America onto South America. Hmm. It's the top country, more or less, the top left of South America, northwest. That's easy to find, then. Very easy to find. It's uh, where Central America attach- attaches to South America. It's follow the thread, basically, okay. and you'll find yourself in Colombia. And that means it's got coasts on the South Pacific and the Caribbean on either side of that uh, little strip of land. Sounds pretty pleasant, to be honest with you. Mm. Uh, it's pretty big, this country. Uh, 1,138,000 square kilometres or 439,000 square miles. Okay, that sounds pretty big. Ah, well, you probably want to know what that is in Francis. I mean, certainly, that is the currency we use. That is two Francis. Just two? Just two, but that's still pretty big. France is not, no slouch when it comes to size. Really? Wow, okay. I just think South America, I think everything is like 800 Frances or something. Well, it is next door to Brazil, which is 10 times the size of Colombia. So, Right. Yes, it is uh, surrounded by much bigger neighbours, in fairness. So it does come across a little bit smaller than you expect, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Population is 51 million people, which is 16 million less than France. So, once again, we've got a country with a lot of space. It's a lot of people. Uh, A lot of people and a lot of space. There's a lot to offer Colombia. I'd quite like to visit after Flag-wise, it's horizontal yellow, blue, and red stripes. So the yellow band is the top half, and the bottom half is separated into blue and red. Oh, that's unusual, isn't it? Yes, it is very unusual. You normally 
three in equal parts. Equal yeah, parts, it's yeah. It's half and quarter, quarter. Is there like a little logo or a shield or something in that there flag isn't. as well? There were a number of flags in the area that all have that sort of base, if you will. The, right. The yellow, blue, red base colours and stripes. Yeah. Because it's really similar to the flag of Ecuador, very similar to the flag of Venezuela. Okay. And that is all because they actually emerged from a common country. And we'll find out a little bit about that later. I'm sure you're dying to hear the national anthem. It's what I live for. So stand up, salute, put your hand on your heart or whatever people do in Colombia to the national anthem. And here it is. Got a lovely strong opener, I think. Oh, yeah. I want to march. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I bet they look really smart as well. Oh, yeah. I bet they're... Nice polished boots striding up and down the tarmac. Blue skies. Yeah, I bet they're hot. <laughs> I bet they're really hot. <laughs> this is gentle. Yeah, it starts out quite martial and then mm. mellows out, doesn't it? This is like a waltz. <laughs> oh, I think you've ended there. It's good, isn't it? I'd like to be awarded a medal whilst listening to this tune. Ta-da! Yeah! That's a cracker, isn't it? That is really good. <laughs> I'm loving that so a the, lot. The official name is Himno Nacional de la República de Colombia. Very good. Which translates says the National Anthem for the Republic of Colombia. <laughs> That's its official name. <laughs> it was presented to the public for the first time in 1887, and it became very popular, and it was adopted basically spontaneously as the National Anthem. So it wasn't written to be a National Anthem. Oh. But everyone went, let's use this tune. It's awesome. Everyone loves it. I mean, I guess they didn't have, like, the whole of Spotify or Apple Music to listen to, so they couldn't more win. limited range of options I'll grant right, you. yeah but it actually wasn't made the official anthem until 1920 okay so official languages you'll find in Colombia Spanish is the majority language but there are also indigenous languages so amongst the official languages are 65 wow. additional languages uh, now I can only assume they don't do what they do in Wales and have street signs in all of the languages all 65 <laughs> that's a big road sign <laughs> yes that might be a little too much for the local budget but if you like diversity Colombia is the place for you biodiversity I'm talking about ah. the second most biodiverse country in the world after Brazil wow for such a relatively small place compared to Brazil exactly so that's yeah, a lot Brazil of wildlife 10 times bigger is only the only country managing to get more biodiversity in and that's partly because Colombia has rainforest highlands got grasslands and deserts there's a bit of everything for you uh, in fact it's one of 17 what are known as mega diverse countries in the world mega diverse mega diverse <laughs> i know right doesn't feel very scientific does it what should we call it mega diverse <laughs> right famous colombians okay name me a colombian uh yeah they're all drug dealers <laughs> <laughs> well we'll talk a little bit about that but not too much i did give you a hint earlier shakira whose hips don't lie oh really shakira She's a colombian okay uh sofia vergara of modern no. family is a colombian that immigrants had a really hard life when they came to America. But when I showed up here, everyone was so nice. The men bought me drinks and offered me a place to sleep. <laughs> this country welcomed me with open arms and pulled down pants. On a more highbrow note, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Actor. Writer. Love in the Time of Cholera, you may have heard of. Or 100 Years of Solitude. Yep. Okay, uh, 
books, man write book, wordy word, <laughs> okay. happy, happy reader. Okay. Wait, did he write the one about the big red ball? See <laughs> <laughs> <So you> spot run. <laughs> Uh, and Gan Bernal is a cyclist who won the 2019 Tour de France. That's impressive, though, isn't it? Is Winning the Tour de France. Quite so. Mm. I can only imagine where he's practicing up and down mountains or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen those pictures of like Tour de France riders' legs after a race? Oh, yeah. Ooh, they're it's horrifying. Inhuman. Okay, famous products of Colombia. Well, you may have stumbled <laughs> upon one earlier. Obviously, there is one product that leaps to mind when you're talking about Colombia. It's a drug. It livens the mind. Uh, it's exported from Colombia in massive quantities. You can get mm. it in powder form. Okay. And I'm pleased to say we've got some here today, Ryan. Great. What is it? I'm talking, of course, about Colombian coffee. <laughs> ah. <laughs> um, coffee cultivation <laughs> counts for 7 to 8% of the GDP of Colombia, so it's a big part of their economy. Oh, wow. Uh, it's the third largest exporter of coffee in the world after Wh- Brazil. Brazil and Vietnam. Okay. Uh, and Colombia only produces Arabica coffee beans, with Arabica and I think Robusta are the other kinds of coffee beans. So I thought whilst we are having an episode about Colombia, we should have a Colombian product. So I have some Colombian coffee here. So first of all, I've got here, these are the beans themselves. Let's okay. have a little sniff of those. I know you're not a coffee fan, but... Uh, I'm not, but... Ooh. They come in little Colombian music. <laughs> and pass as a musical instrument if you don't want to drink them. <laughs> okay, so I'm opening up. I love the smell of coffee, Pete. I don't ah. particularly love the taste of it, but let's go with the smell. So this is a whole bean oh. from Colombia from an area called Tolima. <gasps> I can picture myself now. I'm in an armchair <laughs> in a little coffee shop. Oh, it smells delicious. Do I eat one? I think there are some tasting notes there. But Do I people eat beans? I eat chocolate-covered coffee beans, and I love them very much. I think you can eat them. Give it a go. But right. I also have made you some coffee here. Maybe a little cold, but I'm only going to give you a little bit because it's late. I don't want you up all night, and I know you don't like coffee. So this is the coffee itself. And this is Colombian coffee. This is only these are Colombian beans from Tolima in Colombia. All right. Well, uh, what do we say in Colombia? I don't know. Cheers. Sure. <laughs> Oh, the face says, I don't like coffee. I love coffee. It's so (laughs) nice. So I do like coffee. It's uh, quite mellow, I think, and relatively delicious. Brian is not a fan, but (laughs) that's not surprising. It's great. But obviously, I was also making a cheeky reference to the product cocaine, which I don't want to talk too much about because you don't want to just talk about the negatives of a country and it's not in our time period anyway. But one of the most famous drug kingpins in Colombia was Pablo Escobar and he imported four hippos for his animal collection. Okay. Uh, And when he died, they didn't really do anything with them. They just let them roam around free. And now there are about 70 to 100 hippos in the wild in Colombia. Wow, to add to the mega biodiversity. Add to the diversity, they've now added hippos. So they're now wild? Yeah. Wild hippos in Colombia. Those things are scary too. Yeah, well, they're not sure quite... No one's been killed by them in Colombia yet. There have been some incidents. Right. But they're not quite sure what to do with them. Somebody shot one once and there was a bit of an outcry. Uh, They did castrate one in an effort to kind of not diminish the population. It cost $50,000 just to do one, so... How uh, many do they think there are there now? Somewhere between 70 and 100. From four? From four. So they're all going to be a little bit crazy, aren't they? A little bit inbred, yeah, sort of (laughs) hick... Hick hippos. <laughs> I would say that they all have bad teeth and stuff, but they're, they're pretty bad with. teeth anyway. <laughs> Maybe they've got great movie star teeth now. It's all gone the other way. But that, sir, is Colombia. I welcome you. 
Hey, Pete. Hey, Ryan. Do you know, since the Columbia episode, I've really gotten into drinking coffee. Because I didn't love it, and now I love it. And, and do you want a coffee? Because I'm thinking I'm going to have another coffee after this. So one. you like coffee now? Yeah, 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 yeah. I have one when I wake up, I have a couple during the morning, then a double at lunch, and then I have some during the afternoon. And then, in the evening comes around, I'll have another one then. I, I like espresso, and cappuccino, and latte. Wow, and Ryan, that is really a lot of coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> a little buzzing from it, but that's great. I've got so much energy now, and I can focus on loads of things at once. I'm, I'm being so productive. You know, I wish I'd discovered coffee before. If only you'd bought me that coffee earlier. That coffee? But, but Ryan, the coffee I bought was decaffeinated. What? Really? No, can't be. I mean, I'm buzzing on it. It's great. I love it. No, wait, it could be the sugar. I've been eating lots of sugar. Wait, no, not sugar. Did I say sugar? <laughs> I mean sweetener. You know, the one you keep under your bed. The white powder. Oh, wait, now I'm thinking. That's not sweetener, is it? No, Ryan, no, it is not. Is it? Yeah. That's my athlete's foot powder. You got any more? The history of Colombia. 18,000 BCE to 8,000 BCE to get the earliest signs of human habitation. You could call them early man. You definitely could. About 12,000 BCE, they're starting to see nomadic hunter-gatherers living in the area, and they start to settle down, and they start growing things. So they start uh, sticking around between 5,000 and 1,000 BCE. Okay. There are some notable societies, including the Muisca and the Tyrona, and they'd start trading, and you get the interconnections, you start to see sort of civilizations emerging. And then you kind of live their lives until about the 1500s, when the Europeans start to arrive and mess things up for everyone, mm. including Christopher Columbus. 1510, Vasco Nunez de Balboa took an expedition to the area and founded a town called Santa Maria la Antigua del Darien. It's a long Chips name, wasn't it? Tongue, I know. He <laughs> <laughs> was, was being paid by the word, I think, at that point. Uh, that was the first European, stable European settlement on the continent. Okay. So it, actually in the whole of South America this is. So it's kind of an early adopter area, Colombia. I'm sure the uh, locals were really keen on them creating a new whole town. There. Yeah, I think they were delighted to welcome them and mm. to <laughs> absorb them into their society, unharmed and unmolested. Yeah. The area was christened the Kingdom of New Granada, uh, and gradually more and more adventurers start arriving, and they're drawn by tales of enormous wealth, gold beyond measure, and El Dorado, ah. the mysterious city of gold. Yeah. Do you mm. think there is a city of gold? No. Oh. I do think they had a lot of gold. They certainly mm. seem to have had a lot of gold, but uh, nothing quite as traumatic as people like to talk about. Now, in 1542, the region of New Granada became part of the Viceroyalty of Peru, which was basically all of the Spanish stuff in South America. It wasn't Peru as we know it. It was the whole of South America's... So at this point, we just pretty much forget borders as we know it today. Yeah, you've just got these massive areas that Spain goes, well, that's all ours, and we'll yeah. call it the Viceroyalty of Peru. It's not a country, it's just uh, a region, really. The 16th century, you see a new import of people because the European slave traders begin bringing Africans that have been enslaved to the Americas. Yep. 1717, the Viceroyalty of New Granada was established. So this is a smaller territory covering what is now Colombia, Ecuador, Panama and Venezuela. So still a chunk of space. It's huge. 1810, and this is early, the Colombian Declaration of Independence. So we're used to the kind of African independence stories where it's usually after World War II that they all get together. But no, in South America, the Colombians declared independence in 1810 and it became Gran Colombia at that point. But that Gran Colombia also still included Ecuador, Panama and Venezuela. Colombia was actually the first constitutional government in South America, so it's kind of the paving the way for civilization, if you will. Um, Seems quite forward-thinking. It, it was. Uh, unfortunately, Gran Colombia didn't last hugely long. About 20 years later, 1831, Gran Colombia was dissolved because of tensions in the region. And then you do see the countries that we know today coming together. You've got Colombia, then it breaks away from Ecuador and Venezuela, which become their own places. But Panama is still with Colombia at this point. And in the Colombia, starting more or less now, is there are two main political parties, the Conservatives and the 
liberals. And they are at loggerheads and actually they descend into civil war, actual fighting death civil war, mm. in a war called the Thousand Days War. And that ends with the Conservatives in charge. But actually, we're going to meet the liberals and conservatives later. They were founded in 1848-49, respectively, the oldest surviving political parties in the Americas. In the Americas? In the Americas. Interesting I, though, isn't it? It is interesting. Liberals and conservatives. I know. As a, way, as a, as a political way of thinking, they have fought each other for many years. It's, it's an age-old story, isn't it? Mm. Now, at this point, we still have Panama and Colombia being one country, but guess what? The Panama Canal is built, and then suddenly Panama becomes a very interesting region of the world, and the USA is very interested in it in particular. And why is that? Uh, what does the Panama Canal do? The Panama Canal joins the Caribbean to the Pacific Ocean. It's a shortcut through the Americas, basically. Oh, so you don't have to go all the way so around you don't have to go all the way around. Super valuable bit of territory. And there's a rebellion by Panamanian nationalists in uh, 1903. And uh, the Colombians want to put it down. But the US, who administer the railroad in Panama, just take all the trains off service. So <laughs> the Colombian troops can't get there to stop the insurrection. So hooray, <laughs> it goes on quite nicely. Also, by enormous coincidence, a US warship just happens to show up in the area. No way. I know, right? It was what? just driving by, who knew? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, on November 6th, the same year, the United States recognizes the Republic of Panama, which is an early adopter, if you will. And eventually the hay banau varilla Treaty was signed and grants the United States exclusive and permanent possession of the Panama Canal Zone. Oh, what a surprise. <laughs> that was lucky, wasn't it? What a jolly set of coincidences that was. <laughs> so Colombia lost Panama and certainly wasn't due to the US helping, <laughs> helping them, was it? <laughs> But uh, they didn't stop being friendly with the US, though, because the US was still very important to them. In fact, they ended up supporting America after Pearl Harbor and uh, were on the side of the Allies. In the late 1940s and 1950s in Colombia, was a period called La Violencia, the violence, as you may have already translated in your head. And this was just fighting between liberals and conservatives. And literal fighting. Like... Literal fighting. Loads of people were killed. It was started by the assassination of a liberal presidential candidate called Jorge Eliese Gaitan in 1948. But in a bid to stop the violence, conservative liberals create a national front, right. which basically what this involves is they take it in turns to run the country. They so that, take it in turns? Yeah, so they they go, right, it's going to be Liberals for four years, and I don't know exactly how oh, many years. And you just hand over? They just hand it over, I guess. That's uh, I don't understand too much about it, but that seemed to be what happens. So there's no voting? It's not democratic? It doesn't seem to be. It seems to be, right, we'll just swap it between us. It's um, fascinating, because you would think that you would just spend your four years either undoing what the other people had just done, or putting in place things that you know were going to get undone in the, in the next four years. Honestly, I had wished that I'd got this this period because I'd really like to know more about it. <laughs> and I wanted to dig into it, but I had uh, I had a task on my hands. You certainly did. But interestingly, this did end the violence, but it also started other problems. So now you see the rise of rebels on the left and the right wing who have now been locked out of government completely. So yeah, they were the dominant parties, but mm. now they're like, well, we've got no hope, have we? So they take to violent uh, insurrection. So you may have heard of FARC. Nope. No, that's a, a terrorist slash freedom fighting organization. The ELN and M19 were notable guerrilla groups in this period. And then there's low level guerrilla fighting really for the rest of Colombia's history from the 1960s right into the, the 20, 2016, in fact. What? For real? Yeah. 
that as recent as that. Yeah. So, so in 2016, the government reached a peace with FARC that brings an end to 50 years of this ongoing wow. fighting. There's a bit of a false start, but eventually there is some form of peace. And then most recently, on the 19th of June 2022, there was a vote and there was a win for a new president, Gustavo Petro, who was actually a former guerrilla. He was a member of M19. He took 50%, just over 50% of the vote. And his presidency, I can give you the full extent of his presidency on Wikipedia at the moment. It says, Petro was sworn in on 7th of August, 2022. That's the day before yesterday. So right. he hasn't done much yet. We're, <laughs> we're holding out a lot of hope. He has promised to tackle Colombia's inequalities and boost spending on anti-poverty and invest in rural areas. Let's well, see what he can do. He's only two days, two, three days in. So I don't feel like he's done enough yet. <laughs> Get him out. <laughs> What's a riddle, Ryan? What's not a riddle, Peter? <laughs> Do you know what? I've been dreading this. I know this has been coming and I am so bad at riddles. <laughs> and I just <laughs> knew that we were going to get to this section and you were going to like, See what has two legs in the morning? A clock at night. And I'm like, <laughs> I just don't know. My brain doesn't work that way. All right. Well, let's see how you do. So I consider riddle to be really at its most basic a synonym for a puzzle or a mystery. Yeah. What's a riddle? I don't know the answer. It's something difficult to comprehend. One specific definition I found said it's a question or statement intentionally phrased so as to require ingenuity in ascertaining its answer or meaning, typically presented as a game. Yeah, I think of a riddle as a game. Yeah, and right. I, I'd, I'd say it's often a question with an unexpected answer. So it's not a test of general knowledge. It's a, usually a twist of the mind, a sort of reinterpretation of things. So right. what can you hold in your right hand, but never in your left hand? See, I knew this was coming. <laughs> yes, you did. What can you hold in your left hand, but not in your right hand? My left hand. Correct. Oh, did you I get nailed right? it? <laughs> okay. Uh, poor people have it. Rich people need it. If you need, if you eat it, you die. What is it? Poor people have it. Rich people need it. If you eat it, you die. What is it? Uh, see, I know there's people screaming at this podcast right now going, oh, you're so an idiot. Is it fast food? Uh, it is not fast food. It is, is in it... fact. Now, let me, I want another guess. Okay. Is it? Open yeah. your mind. Okay. What do poor people have? Rich people need it. And what was the other thing? If you eat it, you die. If you eat it, you die. Eat it, you die. It's got to be like poison or something. Hold, hold the hold the phone, everyone. <laughs> it's coming. Twenty minutes of silence ensue. I think it's nothing. Yes, you've got it. Boom. It's nothing, right? Cheers. You, if Sound you eat nothing, you'll, you'll die. Exactly. Yes. Right. So the oldest riddle on record. God, is I hate those things. <laughs> I won't make you do any more. There are some more coming, but okay. um, you, they're impossible because I've made them impossible. Right. Uh, the oldest riddle on record <laughs> is believed to be about four or five thousand years old. Wow. From ancient Sumer. Okay. Uh, and it goes, there is a house. One enters it blind and comes out seeing. What is it? And it is, you'll never guess it. Uh, it's a school. You enter it blind and you come out seeing. It's more metaphorical. The edu- okay. value of education. But possibly the most famous riddle of all was the riddle of the Sphinx. What's so, the riddle of the Sphinx? Well, uh, you were aware of the Sphinx as in the... Cat-like creature in, in Egypt? Lady-faced cat creature. Yes, exactly. Mm. Uh, in Greek mythology, as uh, the body and the tail of a lion, the face of a woman and the wings of a bird. You can see it at uh, Giza today. And the goddess here ascends the Sphinx to plague the people of the city of Thebes. Uh, and the Sphinx would sit outside the city and every time someone wanted to visit, they'd ask them the riddle. Okay. If they answered correctly, they could come in. If they didn't get it right, she ate them. <laughs> death, death by Sphinx. Exactly. It seemed a bit harsh, but there you go. Come on then. Hit, hit me, Sphinx. Okay. I want to get in. What has four legs in the morning, two right. at noon, and three in the evening? Four You're not going to get it. No, 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 well, no, 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 no. Four in the morning. Four legs in the morning, yeah. two at noon, and three in the evening. A human. 
you have four legs because you're crawling as a baby. Two yeah. is like during the middle of your life is you're walking on two legs and three would be a cane. Exactly correct. You, sir, are much like a hero called Oedipus who came along <laughs> gave you the answer. I know. Hopefully the only other... <laughs> The yeah, only way in which similarity. you resemble Oedipus, let's hope so. Um, the Sphinx, on hearing the right answer, jumps off the cliff to her death, which seems a bit extreme, could have just gone home having done the job. But, and the plague was lifted, and that's all thanks to a riddle. So I can go into Egypt now? You can. Ah, suck it, Sphinx. <laughs> so this is the topic, riddles. And I am not going to ask you loads and loads of riddles that I found from 1930 to 1940 in Colombia, because there aren't the things that I could find to do that. But what I will do is phrase some items of history in the form of riddle okay. but as a slight aside there are other forms of riddle a riddle is actually a very large sieve you use it to separate soil or compost from vegetables huh. which is also i believe where you also get the meaning of something being riddled with so it had to be run through with riddled with bullets riddled with errors no way that's where that comes from yeah so a riddle is a sort of big big farming sieve so it has like larger holes yeah i guess it's it. got slightly bigger holes it's like a mesh on the bottom it's not like a huh. flower sifter it's a bit more uh, i think i may have seen a riddle without actually knowing it was called a riddle there you go now you know that's a riddle uh but yes i'm definitely not going to do it about a very specific farm implement in 10 yeah. years in Colombia. so ryan i'm going to take you on a journey through history in the form of three riddles and all you need to answer these riddles yeah. is an extremely in-depth knowledge <laughs> of history between 1930 and 1940 <laughs> in Colombia. so i hope you're prepared Riddler. The bombs, Riddler. Oh, I'll tell you, Batman, if you riddle me this, if you're in time. Wait, 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 wait. Shouldn't I have a riddle for you? What? You said, riddle me this, implying that I must have a riddle for you, but I don't have a riddle for you. What? No, no, no. I'm the Riddler. I pose the riddles. Then why say, riddle me this? Because it sounds like I'm supposed to riddle you. Oh, come on. It's just an expression. It's not an expression. An expression is a frequently used word or phrase. Like, a penny saved is a penny earned. What? No, no. It's my expression. It's what I say. Whatever. Get on with it. Okay, here we go. If you're in time, you won't need a hand because... Clock tower. What? Clock tower is the answer. But, but I haven't finished yet. Is it clock tower? Well... Yes, but the... Gordon, the bomb's in the clock tower. But, but, but there, there's another bomb. Where is it? Well, well, here we go. To the left of a boat or an apres meal wine. Port! Gordon, there's another bomb at the port. Wait, wait, wait. Just hang on a second. Do, do, do you have any idea how long it takes to come up with these things? Give it up, Riddler. It's over. But, but there's another bomb. Is there? No. Then I have a riddle for you. My walls are bars, a lock, a key. The years slowly pass. What am I? Oh, um, uh, I It's where I'm taking you. Is it a zoo? Oh, I love the zoo. What? No. God, you're bad at this. Oh. 
Okay, so Riddle in Colombia, 1930 to 1940. Our period happens to coincide mostly with an era known as the Liberal Republic. This is 16 years of liberal control. We talked about the liberals and the conservatives earlier, yep. starting in 1930. In fact, 9th of February 1930, there were elections that were a victory for a guy called Enrique Herrera of the Liberal Party. And this is a big deal. Why is this a big deal? Because the conservatives had been winning for a long time. The conservatives had, in fact, been in charge since presidential elections were introduced in 1914. It had been conservative. Conservatism all the way through to 1930. Wow. Wait, so this is before they do that whole four-year, four-year, four-year thing? Yes, yes, okay, it's right. before that. So it's the first time the Liberals have actually got into power. And a big part of that is, well, let me pose you a riddle, Ryan. Okay. When I'm yellow, I'm ready. When I'm black, it's too late. But working with me may well seal your fate. What am I? Now, I'll uh, explain uh, some history to you that might help give you some context. <laughs> okay. But yes, when I'm yellow, I'm ready. When I'm black, it's too late. But working with me may well seal your fate. What am I? So, the War of the Thousand Days I mentioned before, that was... I uh, think I know what the answer is, by well, the way. we'll see. No, I think... Can I, can I write it down? You can write it down, yes. All right. <laughs> <laughs> There's a general answer that I think you can get and a specific answer that I think you will not. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I think I might have got this ready. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So yes, I, I mentioned the War of the Thousand Days. It started a period of conservative control. The conservatives were very friendly with business yep. and they offered very favourable terms to businesses wanting to establish in the country. In 1899, the Magdalena region of Colombia, that's the far north on the Caribbean Sea, saw the arrival of a bunch of Americans from Boston. Okay. They were representatives of a Boston-based company called the United Fruit Company. Right. Uh, better known today as Chiquita. Oh, really? Um, I've seen them. They've got the little blue logos on... on on the item. You can say it. You can, you can say it. No, you say what I've written down. He's written down banana, people. <laughs> For the record, he has written down banana. Uh, in 1899, it was created by Minor Cooper Keith, Andrew Preston and Lorenzo, or Lorenzo Baker. Mm-hmm. And it pulled together some existing banana plantations, but it also focused on developing infrastructure. So they owned roads, they owned railroads, ports, they owned telegraphs, housing, they owned shipping, including what was known as the Great White Fleet, this fleet of uh, merchant ships that were all painted white to help keep the bananas cool inside the ship. Did they own the packs? The packs? <laughs> yes, they did own the packs. Yeah. <laughs> and the yards? <laughs> <laughs> they were wicked smart. <laughs> now, the Conservatives wanted a, a business-friendly environment, so they offered the companies, and in particular the United Fruit Company, great rates, tax breaks. And basically, the United Fruit Company buys up a load of land, also sets up distribution networks in this Magdalena area, but they become very influential in government, and they do this across various countries as well in South America. And actually, this situation where you've got a fruit company that is incredibly influential in government gives rise to the phrase you may have heard, the Banana Republic. Yeah, I've heard that Yes, but not, this would be a good example of something that was becoming a banana republic which was so influenced by the policies of the banana company in this. But is that where the phrase comes from or is it just an example of that? They were in various other countries, so it wasn't specifically from Colombia, but United Fruit, I think, primarily okay. is the, the creator of banana republics, uh, various banana republics. Banana Republic. So United Fruit becomes endemic in an area through vertical integration. So they own railways, ports, the boats, they, in the US, the distribution. So they own everything, really. Now, that's really bad for competition, as you can imagine. But on the other hand, local Colombian businesses had started 
to try and do export, but they didn't have enough money or capital or they couldn't come together sufficiently to develop all this stuff. So it's it's a bit of a double-edged sword. So I'm trying not to be too unfair to the United Fruit Company, although they are about to cover themselves in shame in the near future, historically mm. speaking. But it must be said, in fairness, when United Fruit arrived, the export market between 1900 and 1920 rises from half a million buckets of bananas, which I guess is the standard measure of bananas, to over 6 million. So, what, 12-fold increase in export of bananas. That's a lot of bananas, isn't so, it? And that's that's good for your economy, right? So mm. you can't say, it's very easy to say these are horrible people because of what we're about to discuss, but, you know, they did definitely develop the area. It makes but, me wonder how long you can transport a banana in those days. You were relatively limited, I think, and you had to get cracking once you topped it off the tree in particular. Right, because... These days, I imagine that they are refrigerated almost instantly and if not frozen and transported. But then you're talking about trains and boats and stuff. Which is why you needed so much infrastructure, because if you didn't, couldn't move them quickly enough, then yeah. you had a problem. Yeah. But it, obviously, this was a problem because it was the only game in town. So that's going to lead to, unexpected, uh, unsurprisingly, some problems with the local people. So Did they have the only skin in the game? Hey! Did it have some appeal? Oh, my Lord. So what United Fruit is after and achieves is a monopsony position. I think you're saying monopoly wrong. Uh, yes, well, uh, very similar, actually. A monopoly is where there is only one seller of a product. Mm. And a monopsony is where there's only one buyer of a product. So if you are a farmer making or indeed growing bananas in yeah. the Magdalena region, there is only one person who will buy them from you. Do you know, I had no idea that was a word. No, neither did I. I thought Monopoly covered both, but how fascinating. Okay. That doesn't sound good for somebody though, like if there's only one buyer of something. No, not at all. It meant they could write contracts to their own specification, really. And the contract said things like this. uh, As a producer, you can only sell your fruit to United Fruits. United Fruits don't have to buy your fruit. (laughs) What? (laughs) The very second you chop your bananas off the tree, they become the property of United Fruit. Fine. Except where there is any problem, um, even after it's gone all the way to America, in which case it's your fruit again. So it's not my property once I've cut it from the tree. Unless there's a problem and then it's yours again. All the way up to America. All the way to the very end of the chain. <laughs> so if the boat is delayed or something, yeah, and it arrives and everything your is... Problem. Yeah, all those rotten bananas are yours again. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So now you probably just want to sell the farm and get away from it, don't you? Yeah, that's stupid. Yeah, well, your contract states that the buyer also has to become a United Fruit supplier. (laughs) Wait, so if I have a farm and I want to sell to you, when you buy it, you have to sign to those people too? Yes. Well, you're not going to buy my farm, are you? Well, then you'll start being a United Fruit supplier, aren't you, my friend? I'm in a banana split. You are indeed. Um, Now, uh, (laughs) sorry, I'm just trying to get over that joke. (laughs) And in fact, the United Fruit very much enjoyed being in this position and they did things to maintain it as well. So they also did things like they staggered the contract. So all of the suppliers in an area, the growers in an area, their contracts would end at different times. So you never had a point where everyone was out of contract and could go, oh, hey, let's get together and sell our bananas somewhere else. So it was kind of a divide and rule kind of situation. They also were very strict enforcing the contract. So in a couple of instances, someone went, oh, I found someone else to buy my bananas at a better rate, at which point they went straight to the courts. It happened in both London and America, I think, where whole shiploads of bananas were then confiscated, saying you can't legally have these bananas because these guys are under contract to United Fruits. Right. So they were supported by the British and the American courts in uh, enforcing. And also financially, <laughs> you might go to the bank for a loan to help develop your business. Yeah. Uh, guess who owned the bank? Wait, no way. Yes, United Fruit also owned the bank. So that ties Do you know what? In. This is giving me serious anxiety and I'm not even a banana farmer. <laughs> oh, that is awful. Options are limited in a monopsony position, it turns out. 
Although it must be said that the credit in the area was very hard to get. There weren't loads of banks trying to get in. Mm. So they did bring some capital availability to areas that perhaps didn't have it before. So yeah. again, there is a, an upside to well, this. It strikes me that when it's working well, it's probably fine. But like you say, if there's like a ship that goes down or is delayed or there's a, that's when it all goes against you, right? All on you, yes. Uh, life was hard as a banana a farmer. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it was so hard that in 1928, there was a strike in November 1928. 25,000 workers organised a strike against United Fruit. What do they want? Oh, the lazy layabouts. They only want to work for just six days a week. <laughs> and they want to do eight hours a day. When do they want it? Well, they want it <laughs> as soon as possible. <laughs> uh, they want medical care, the scamps. What? I know. Medical care? And they also want to eliminate payment in scripts. What, like movie scripts? Uh, yes, no, not quite. <laughs> scripts are like currency that you can only spend in the local shop. Which is run by UFC. Yes, it is. No way. <laughs> there is, in They're fact, like vouchers. You get right, getting paid in vouchers. You're getting paid in book tokens, essentially, yes. Uh, you may have heard of the song 16 Tons. You know, 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. Nope. St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. Yeah, sound, that bit sounds familiar. Yeah, that bit. That's about the company store. This is, I'm so in debt and the the place I buy things from is yeah. the same company that pays me. And so I can't afford to die and go to heaven. Oh, right. Your your soul is tied to, so to the company. The company that's store. amazing. Right? So that's... Oh, I hate this. I feel really claustrophobic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you are very much stuck as a banana farmer in 1928. And striking is about all you've got left as a recourse, isn't it? However, we did mention that the Conservatives are in power, business friendly. They don't want the United Fruit Company to be upset by these agitating communists, as everyone got labelled back in those days. Mm. So they send 300 soldiers under General Cortes Vargas... Mm -hmm. from Antioquia to Magdalena. To sit down and have a friendly conversation. A chat, a chat with rifles, yes. <laughs> um, they didn't involve any soldiers from the Magdalena area because they were worried they'd be related to the plantation yeah. workers and wouldn't be able to do what was necessary, in inverted commas. So the troops get there and uh, they, on it's a Sunday afternoon and they set up their machine guns, basically, on right. the roofs around the main square. Uh, and the square fills up with people who are coming after Sunday mass to hear an address from the governor, apparently. This is a crowd including families and children. Mm -hmm. So the army says, we don't want this crowd. They're nervous about crowds in general, I guess. And they offer a five-minute warning that people should leave, which I guess isn't long enough because they then open fire into the crowd. Oh, my God. So as ever with these events, reports vary massively in terms of the number of people killed. But the very smallest number acknowledged even by the people involved is that 47 people were killed. Uh, the highest or the higher end of the estimates are 2,000 people killed. So 2,000 people. Even if it is lowest, that is a massacre of workers by the Conservative government. Unarmed people that have come straight from mass. Yeah. Was it in the contract they had to pay for the bullets? That wouldn't surprise me one bit if they uh, somehow ended up having to foot the bill for their own funerals. But uh, this was uh, a result of the Conservative government's attitude to business and uh, actually turned people very much off the Conservative government. And as I mentioned at the start, this was the first time Liberals in 1930 came to power. So this event in 1928 mm. is seen as, an, as a very important milestone to the actual arrival of the Liberals in power two years later in 1930. Well, that's depressing. 
It is, but on the plus side, it was the trigger to an acceptance that actually this wasn't okay. It wasn't just considered mm. to be a thing that was part of life. And it did result in the Liberals coming to power and they had a bit more of a reforming agenda. Mm. There's also a fictional version of the event. If you do read Gabriel Garcia Marquez's 100 Years of Solitude, you'll see an event very similar to that depicted in the novel. So I reiterate our riddle, sir. When I'm yellow, I'm ready. When I'm black, it's too late. But working with me may well seal your fate. What am I? A contract with the United Fruit Company. Yes, a banana produced by a farmer working for United Fruit Company. (laughs) (laughs) That, sir, is your first riddle. They should work for the man from Del Monte because he'll give you anything. He'd just say yes. He's uh, (laughs) famously... Famously easygoing he's fellow. Got, he's like, guys, can we do anything about these contracts? Because I just have agreed to everything. <laughs> yes, if they'd have sent in the Colombian military, it would have had a very different answer than Del Monte Man. <laughs> I'm Chiquita Banana and I'm here to say You're gonna have to work a very, very long day You can't take any rest or you will be under arrest So don't slack on Cause Chiquita's got a profit With Chiquita it's a very good day to grow bananas Or else Okay, we're on to our second riddle, Ryan, and there's a type of riddle that's kind of, a, I call it a contradiction. It's when is a thing not a thing? Okay. Um, you may have, the, probably the most famous one is when is a door not a door? When it's a jar. When it's a jar, exactly. So for our not necessarily first English as a first language audience, a jar means very slightly open, but also a jar, meaning a glass vessel. Bit of a play on words. Another one is when is a car not a car? Oh, when it's in a jam? No, when it turns into a parking lot. Turns into a parking lot, turns right into a lot, or becomes a parking lot. I prefer the jam one. Yeah, I do. So uh, there are (laughs) a lot of strange contradictions in the next story, but I've chosen this one for a riddle. When is a lowered flag not a lowered flag? When it's raised well once again this is going to require some in-depth knowledge of Colombian yeah. history so <laughs> <laughs> let's give you some background and okay. see how you do all right so we're now into 1932 we're two years after the election of the first liberal government okay it's a bit of a ruckus in southeast colombia oh what is it now is it carrots or something well if you look at a map of colombia today uh mm. you will see on the southern border it wiggles along the river putamayo and then it hits a point where suddenly it goes oh i'm going to take a very ruler sharp straight line southwest what the river does? The border. Ah, right. So okay. It goes away from the river, mm-hmm. suddenly just cuts down until it joins up with the Amazon River, then it whittles along the Amazon River, and then it cuts back up again in what is essentially a chunk of what looks like it could easily be Peru. Oh. It's an area known as the Amazon Trapeze, mm. and it kind of it gives Colombia a, a bit of access to the Amazon River, which is an important thoroughfare, in especially yeah. in the days before roads were that common. Okay, seems fair. So this was given originally to Colombia under a treaty called the Salomon Lozano Treaty, which was signed in July 1922. So I mentioned that it looks like a chunk of Peru. A lot of Peruvians felt it very much looked like a chunk of Peru as well. Right, okay. Um, and they were very irked about this for a whole decade until 1932. Mm. Uh, and then there were about 200 to 300 reports very private Peruvian citizens, in inverted commas, who decide this isn't okay. I don't think this trapeze belongs in Colombia. We think it should be Peru. Yeah. So they rock up to a small town called Leticia in Colombia, and it's the 
corner of the bottom right-hand corner of the Amazon trapeze. They're not sightseers. They're heavily armed, in fact, and they take over the town. They expel the Colombian authorities and the police, and uh, they go, right, This is we're taking this back for Peru. Back. Okay. So our first contradiction is when is an invasion, not an invasion? Uh, and the answer is when it's a private affair. This was a bunch of private citizens. Uh, so this the, wasn't state-sponsored? This, this wasn't, wasn't state-sponsored. The Peruvian government said, no, this is nothing to do with us. These are just, again, <laughs> communists. Everyone believes everything happens. Yeah. You get called a communist and dismissed. Yeah. So they say, no, it wasn't us. It was totally private citizens. This would have been a little more convincing if a number of them hadn't been Peruvian military in uniform. Uh, and one of them <laughs> called Lieutenant La Rosa, who was a garrison chief for the Peruvian army. But I did read somewhere that he actually, actually resigned before joining the expedition. So it's this is one of the... It's a contradiction. So mm. Peru is saying it's nothing to do with us, but mm, they aren't exactly against it either. Yeah, they're not saying, hey, guys, come back. Right, exactly. So they certainly don't do anything about it. They just go, oh, no, look at that. <laughs> so the invaders, in inverted commas, they settle in. And for a short while, no one's really doing anything. And partly this because Letitia is really remote. It's in the jungles. It's uh, 600 miles more than from Bogota. Not really any roads. Colombia doesn't really have a navy. It doesn't really have an air force. Mm. Uh, what are they going to do, walk there? And is this cutting Colombia off from the Amazon now? Well, at the, at the is moment... Is it strategic for this it is. It is on the Amazon and it's a, it's a port, so it's got some value. Okay. Uh, so yes, to some extent. But the insult doesn't go unnoticed. The government doesn't do anything immediately, but the Colombians, much like the Peruvians, are like, what, hang on, that was ours. They're like, mm. whoa, 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 Peruvians, what are you doing? Uh, on September 19th, the Colombian newspaper El Tiempo report that they had got over 10,000 letters calling for war. Letters? Letters, yes. Wow. Not even an angry email or Not a tweet. A, nor a tweet. <laughs> so Colombia's like, oh, I guess we better do something because the people are getting a bit irked. So they start off going, well... Let's do some shopping. Uh, we're going to need some ships. So they go shopping for warships. Okay. They go to France and get some merchant ships and repurpose them and uh, get a warship or two. And they get $10 million to spend on actually building a navy because, oh, we should do something, but we didn't have anything to do it with. To, to take back land from 300 soldiers? Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, there's... It seems overkill. Well, yes, but we'll we'll discover... It'll become clearer why, because Peru okay. is not not helping <laughs> either. Okay. They, uh, it'll become clear in a second. So they, they shop for some ships uh, and they boost their air forces well which starts at a grand total of about 15 aircraft mm. to over 80 in the end because they arm <laughs> okay they arm the airline the colombians actually has the world's second oldest airline it was called scadta scadta right the sociedad colombo alemania de transportes eros and this was weirdly mostly german Huh. It's a mostly German pilots, and it was started as mail carrier, but it was also an airline. But they basically arm the airline and mm. <laughs> make it the air force. So when is an air force not an air force? When it's your airline, I guess. And this is all pre Second World War, isn't it? Yes, it's just it's okay. about a decade before the or, uh, 1932, so you're a few years before, yeah. Okay. So Peru are busy too because they also send some forces to the area. So this is why it is escalating on both okay. sides of the river. Don't forget, when is a war not a war? Well, it's their private forces. They've they've been disowned by the government, but they've also realised that the Peruvians are so excited by this, and the people of Peru are so happy for it. The, the, the Peruvian government say, well, these guys have been motivated by patriotic aspirations, and it would be immoral to abandon them to the Colombian forces. It would be. So what can I do? Says mm. Peru. It wasn't us, but now I'm going to send a load of troops to the area. Uh, but whilst they're talking about contradiction, Peru not only say this is not us, this is just a private business, but also we're going to prep a load of troops and send them to the area. They also ask Colombia to go to international arbitration, to which Colombia say, you said it was a private thing and nothing to do with you. Therefore, it's not an international incident. Therefore, there's nothing to arbitrate. Pick a side, right? <laughs> so the Peruvians like, oh yeah, okay, fair enough. 
So it takes a bit of time. Everyone takes a while to prepare, but eventually a little bit of argy-bargy kicks off. A force of about a thousand Colombian troops set out in boats. They have to actually drive all the way around the coast. So all the way uh, around the east, down around Brazil, basically, and up the Amazon through Brazil to get to the area they want to be. Well, yeah, I guess there's no other way to get a boat there. Yeah, exactly. And they get to Letitia and Colombia thinks, I, I want to attack Letitia, but I can't. And the reason they can't is Letitia's right on the river. Yeah. And the river is the border, which means there's half of the river, which is Colombian, and the other half of the river is Brazil. So they are scared to attack Letitia from the river in case they drift into the Brazilian side of the river Uh and it becomes an international problem because they've attacked from a foreign country. (laughs) So they go, ah, this is a bit awkward. So as it happens, troops and people have also taken another town further up river, more into Colombian territory. Yeah. So they go, well, let's leave Letitia alone and we'll drive up to uh, a town on the Putumayo River called Tarapaca. Okay. So this has also been occupied by Peruvians. And so they go, right, we can attack that. There's no border. It's just smack in what we consider to be Colombia. So on February the 14th and 15th, the Colombian forces attack the town of Tarapaca. This is how the battle arrayed beforehand. On the Colombian side, you had about 1,000 men, you had some warships, uh, you had some seaplanes. And on the Peruvian side, you had about 100 guys. A hundred. About a hundred guys. So astonishingly, the Peruvians held out for a while. (laughs) Uh, There were 17 Colombian casualties. None of the Peruvians are are harmed. Wait, so the Peruvian government didn't support them then? Didn't send anyone to help? Well, we start with a hundred people just in Leticia. Now you've got Leticia and Tarapaca occupied. So there's more troops in the Ah, area. Ah, okay, right. And the story itself is quite hard to get a really clear picture of because I've read various, slightly in the detail, contradicting versions of things. The broad facts are definitely correct. But is it 100 people or 200 people? There's, I've seen different versions. Certainly less than the Colombians. Very much so, yeah. Okay. So the Peruvians are doing quite well, but then they run out of ammunition and they go, oh no, we sneak off in the night and Colombia takes, in inverted commas, Tarapaca. Mm. So next, the Colombians move on to a, a Peruvian stronghold, a place called Jepi, which on March 27th, 1933, they attack. And again, it's a little, it's a skirmish. Like hmm. Tens of people are harmed, not hundreds. Okay. And now things look like they're about to escalate, though. There's a thousand people here. The tr- Peruvians are sending troops up. It's mm-hmm. things are about to get a bit tastier. But then the Colombians have a massive stroke of luck. On the 30th of April, 1933, the Peruvian president, a guy called Sanchez, was, was shot. He was assassinated. And wow. his successor, a guy called Oscar Benavides, was not at all keen on the war. Uh, he was actually a friend, apparently, of the Colombian president. And he goes, let's not do this. <laughs> He says, let's turn the problem over to the League of Nations, the kind of precursor to the United Nations, and let them sort it out for us. Oh. So the fighting stops. Okay. It gets turned over to the League of Nations. And then what the League decides is for for a while while they're sorting it out, the League of Nations takes control of the area. And in practice, what that means is the Colombian troops are still in the area, but they're now commanded by the League of Nations and not Colombia. Okay. Interestingly, Peru asked not to be told that fact because they didn't want Colombian troops. So they want League of Nations troops. Sure. Fine. Colombian troops, not fine. So they said, don't tell us they're Colombian. Again, wow. it's all these weird contradictions in this particular conflict. So they both handed it over to the League of Nations to make a decision. Yeah. Okay. And, and right. so they have a bunch of negotiations and the disputed areas eventually declared to be part of Colombia. The Salomon-Lozano Treaty borders were confirmed and they right. remain in force. The rumours of the League of Nations lunches having many bananas. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, unfounded. Split, Captain. <laughs> 
But uh, after that, not much. The, as a war, it's not a massive... It's a footnote in history, really. The relations between the Peruvians and Colombians seem to get back to normal quite quickly. And it was the just... Peruvians just go, well, that was the that, decision. Yeah, I guess. It was. It's. Uh, I found it fascinating, but it's not uh, well-documented. It's just mm. this minor thing that happened in Colombian-Peruvian history. And those areas today, do we know? Like, are they still quite it's, rural and out of the way? Or is it now like a big... Still a t- they're both still towns. Okay. I don't know how big they are. They're there's still a tr- I think it's still a trading port in uh, Leticia okay. but I'm not sure how important it is but right. that trapeze is still part of Colombia so if you look at the map today you can yeah. see that it's really obvious when you look at it the sticky down bit that could easily be right. part of Peru I will check it out uh, but back to our riddle when is a lowered flag not a lowered flag and this is another of those little um, diplomatic things like don't tell us they're Colombian mm. so this is an extract from a letter from the Peruvian ambassador to the American Secretary of State in 1933 the Peruvians have derived considerable satisfaction over the way in which the Peruvian flag was removed from Letitia. A great deal had been made in the country over promises never to haul down the Peruvian flag at that port. The flag was not hauled down, but the flagpole, with the flag attached, was taken up and carried across the river to Peruvian territory, where it was replaced in the ground with the flag still flying. <laughs> so they just dug it up and carried it back to Peru and said, we never lowered the flag. Yeah, that's thinking laterally, isn't it? And that is when a lowered flag is not a lowered flag. That's brilliant. I love that. That's great. There you go. That is your second riddle. You did well there. I know you would. There was no way of you getting that one. So I no, it was it was unlikely. Okay, the final and hardest of the riddles. <laughs> oh, yay! <laughs> what can be defended when offended with a man dead? Sorry. What can be defended? When offended. When offended. With a man dead. With a man dead. I'm, I'm not going to know, so no, you I'm going to let you reveal the answer. Right, let me introduce you to a newspaper in a town called Manizales, which is called La Voz de Caldas, which is the Caldas region of Colombia. This is a newspaper that had been going for about 13 years, and it was founded by a man called Eudoro Galarza Osa. He was a journalist. Now, on the 10th of October, 1938, the newspapers published a story of rather bad behaviour by a military officer who had basically assaulted one of his men. The story goes, The official, Mr. Jesus Maria Cortez, slapped the soldier, Mr. Roberto Restrepo, and then throwing him from the first floor of the barracks to the patio, the soldier suffered serious blows. So Restrepo gets assaulted by this officer Cortez. My goodness. Bad news, right? That's news, though. You'd see that in the paper. You wouldn't be surprised. Well, in response, Mr. Jesus Maria Cortez shows up at the offices of the newspaper mm-hmm. he says i want to see who's responsible for that newspaper article okay now it's not really 100 clear if he was the author or if he was just the founder or the editor but in any event our man galaza says yeah i'm the man responsible for this article he reads the first part of the article to the guy and he says is that true and cortez goes yeah yeah that's true so he reads the, the, the second part of the story to cortez and goes is that, is that true and he goes yep yeah, yeah that's what happened and he reads the, the rest of it and he says was that true and, yep yeah that's all true <laughs> so he goes well so, uh, what's the problem so it's all true yes it's all true so what's your problem he goes well i'm not happy so galaza offers to publish a letter from cortez you can put your side of the story even though you've kind of said all this is true and cortez isn't happy with that either there's not really anywhere to go there so galaza reiterates the offer and then eventually just goes right well thanks for coming and reaches his (laughs) hand out to say goodbye and cortez says we're going to fix this now pulls out a gun and shoots galaza three times what 
He well, demanded that, that... satisfaction for this entirely true article and shot the guy and he, he dies. He gets rushed to a medical facility, they can't help him, he dies. This makes him the first journalist in Colombia in history killed for doing his job. Wow. Sadly, not the last. But that's not the weird part. That's it's not a, the it's weird part. a weird part. <laughs> the weird part is what happens next. Okay. The case goes to trial. So Cortez doesn't deny killing Galaza and he doesn't deny the truth of the article. But he has a representative, a man Kate Jorge Eliezer Gaitan. Do you remember him from the beginning? I remember the name. He was a lawyer and a politician. He'd been a minister for education and labour and he was a mayor of Bogota when the case comes to court, which is 10 years after the actual crime. Now, Gaitan, by the time the case actually comes to court, is a candidate for the presidency. But he still is defending this guy, Cortez. So the defence he comes up with, legitimate defence of military honour. And I don't fully understand this. So this is going to sound weird and it's because it is weird and I don't understand it. So don't, <laughs> don't ask too many questions. But the argument was, in a, a regular self-defence situation, there are two people. There's the attacker and the self-defender. Okay. But in the defence of honour, there is the aggressor, the defender, but also this third party, which is this honour, which is society, right? Society is impacted by an honour being abused i guess uh, okay yeah exactly a military honor is supposedly a special class of honor which he's even more defending so offending the military honor is almost a third party in the dispute so it sounds absolutely mad but this defense worked right gaitan convinced this judge a guy called judge perepe in april 1948 who's uh, jesus maria cortez is acquitted for shooting this journalist in even cold though, blood and the reason was because he was defending military honor and that was making it made it okay apparently even though it was true, you've still said something bad about the military and that is an impugning the honour. He was just reporting what happened. Well, yes. He wasn't making is, a statement about anything. It is worth noting that current modern Colombian law, this would not fly. There, It must be mm. untrue for this defence to work. I well, guess yeah. it's still a potential thing, but it must be untrue to impugn honour. One would argue, presumably, because the person who was staining the honour of the military was the guy who assaulted his troops. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it worked. This is what happened. The judge accepted it, and this guy, Cortez, got off. Wow. Now, Gaitan might have been pleased with his achievements. For fully 24 hours, the next day he was assassinated and killed. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he gets the judgment. Genuinely, the next day he's assassinated, and that is what kicks off the La Violencia, which we talked about earlier. That all happens because he's been assassinated. And meanwhile, poor old Galaza has been completely forgotten. His killer was never brought to justice. The advocate who got his killer off himself died, but then became kind of a figure of... I would say martyrdom of some kind. Mm. And uh, just to add insult to injury, 40 years after the event, there was a journalist asked Cortez how he thought about it now. And the journalist said, I told him if this situation were repeated, would he kill him again? And he said, yes. <laughs> no remorse. Not at all bothered. So the answer to what can be defended when offended with a man dead is Colombian military honour in 1938. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have got that one. No. So there you have it. Three what middles. an astonishing story. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? It really is crazy. Crazy. Twists and turns and unexpected appearances. Wow. A mystery. A mystery and a riddle. There's Wrapped riddles, up in an enigma. Riddles a go-go. Now, I appreciate they were very hard riddles and you needed very in-depth knowledge <laughs> of some very specialist <laughs> subject matter to get them right. But, I got the uh, banana one. You did get the banana one. That was very well done. Well, Peter, I feel riddled out. <laughs> I don't think I could fit in another riddle. Well, good, because it was riddled with riddles. It was indeed riddled with riddles and riddled with facts. It was. And riddled with stories and riddled with bananas, which were probably <laughs> riddled with spiders. I've heard those stories. 
<laughs> uh, but no, well done. Congratulations. I mean, I really genuinely didn't know about how you were going to handle the riddles in Columbia Park. I think the way that you structured this was fantastic. I loved it. I want to hear more in the verdict. And I encourage people that are listening here to let us know your thoughts too at Pete and Ryan at HHEpodcast.com. And so you have successfully fulfilled your mission, Peter. It is now my turn. I love this bit. It makes me so uh, riddled with anticipation. All right. Shall I wheel out the Durzimilator? Crank it out. Crank her up. All right. Here we go. Uh, here it is. Uh, shall I switch it on? Okay. Right, Peter. When you're ready. I'm ready. Your country is... <sighs> Burkina Faso. Burkina Faso. Burkina Faso. Okay. Sure. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to work out geographically where yes, that is but I, i'm with fine. you we'll find out yeah uh, your time period sir is it's a long long time ago oh really yeah the time is a long the long time, time ago. is a long long time ago okay well that's kind of cool that gives you a little bit of flex i would say i like that yeah <laughs> the beginning of this podcast feels like a long long time yeah. ago <laughs> okay and i guess i need a topic and your topic is yeah fear Fear. Fear, I like that one. That's oh, good. that's great. So it's fear in Burkina Faso a long, long time ago. Well, there you go. That's what the next episode will be. I'm on it. Okay, well, there we go. That is the show for this week. Thank you all for listening. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch about any of the things that we've talked about on this show, or just to say hello, you can reach out to us through our website at hhepodcast.com, or you can email us at peteandryan at hhepodcast.com. We love it when you talk to us, and you never know, you might end up featured on a future show. That's right. And if you're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, you can find us at hhepodcast. And if you subscribe to those, you're going to get an alert every time we post one of our little one-minute animated bites so we're going to be back again soon with the verdict but until then a riddlific <laughs> thank you to you peter when is a thank you not a thank oh no forget it thanks ryan <laughs> <laughs> and that is it i guess all that's left to say is you've been listening to history happened everywhere Hey Pete, I was thinking we should do a competition for listeners where if they solve a riddle we put to them, uh, they might win a t-shirt. Oh, that's a great idea. Okay, so I've got a riddle. The riddle goes, what gets wetter the longer it's out in the sun? Oh, ice. Well, yes, but now we obviously can't use that one because you just said the answer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yes, of course. Not a problem. I've got another one. So the, the riddle is, what can everyone open but nobody close? Hmm. An egg? And also apparently your mouth, Ryan. Ah. Uh the competition yep sorry it's not a problem it's not a problem i've got another one uh, but i'm just gonna switch your mic off wait what? now everyone at home if you want the chance to win a t-shirt email your answer to riddle at hhepodcast.com by the 1st of september 2022 and if you get the answer right we'll put your name into a draw for a t-shirt so the riddle is i have no wallet but i pay my way i travel the world but in the corner i stay what am i that's it send your answers to riddle at hhepodcast.com by the 1st of september and good luck everyone It's a stamp, isn't it? Oh, for God's sake.